so the thing of it is is that you know for me i'm looking for an artist that has kind of some everything they can sing or dance or rap or whatever they can do they can really they really have a unique voice their music has a unique voice and what they're saying in the lyrics to me are super important even if it's today's music you gotta be saying something a willingness to work really hard and know that they're prepared they're ready they're ready don't come to me and you're not ready and i've had artists come to me when they're not ready i've had artists who I got them all the way to the sitting with the chairman of companies and they couldn't pull it off. They had the music ready, they had the pedigree, they're hot looking, but they were scared. And guess what? If you're scared in a company of executives, you can't hit the stadium. I can get you in the door and I can get you in that meeting, but I can't get them to sign the deal unless the person is ready. That's the whole thing. Artists need to be ready. So, you know, this is like really an incredible show Mm -hmm. when you think about all of the artists who their major goal is like to get in front of an A&R person at a major record label. Yeah. And that's like this big mysterious thing like, you know, okay, well, how Mm -hmm. do I get prepared? How do I get ready for a meeting like this? Yeah. You know, if I happen to meet an A&R person, what do I need when I walk in the door? How do I need to be? I mean, that's like the most nerve wracking meeting that you could ever get because you know that that meeting could literally change your life or not. Right. No doubt. So if you can actually go into a meeting like that with some information that can help you to prepare for the meeting, then you want to listen to this episode. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's how valuable is this episode? Because we have a real live breathing A&R person, in -hmm. particular, a senior vice president of A&R who is taking the time to sit down and tell us the ins and outs of what an aspiring artist needs when they walk in the door to be to have a successful meeting. That's Dude, that's gold. Mm -hmm. Right. Where else can you get that kind of information? It doesn't happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Breaking down the business. Breaking down the business. That's about the only place that I know of. Or you can get an A&R person (laughs) that tells you exactly what they're looking for (laughs) when they see you walk through the door so that you don't have to make a fool of yourself. No doubt. Wow. So I'm... I'm really grateful and I'm thankful that Allison is taking the time to sit down with us and break it down for our listeners. She is about to break down the business for us. One of a kind episode, one of a kind lady, Mm -hmm. one of a kind opportunity. Man, let's go. Breaking down the business. Ever wanted to be a star? Ever heard the sound of 30,000 people chanting your name? That is the power of music. We're here to empower you, to empower the world, to touch the world to move the world, to rock the world. Welcome to Breaking Down the Business, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know to succeed in today's music business. Brought to you by The Epiphany Network. Okay, well, you know, sometimes, man, I get an opportunity to interview somebody that I know, and I've had the pleasure of working with in all kinds of capacities and this particular person is just absolutely brilliant i mean she is the definition of phenomenal woman that's a throwback to maya angelou thank (laughs) Thank you (laughs) and she's been in the music business for a long time she has gym after gym after gym and if you have the ability to break out your pen and pad this is the time because we are about to have a conversation with Allison Ball Kilmer. Thank you. That was amazing introduction. I need you to call me every morning with that introduction, please. 
<laughs> we talk we talk every morning. I know. So. I want you to tell me that every morning. That will pump me up. Well, yes, thank you. Yes, the phenomenal woman. Well, this is fun. I love doing interviews. And Ro and I go so far back, probably from not the first record company I was at, but the second record company. Yeah. And we've been together ever since. Yes. You know, I always tell people one thing about me. You never, ever, ever get rid of me. You might not talk to me for five or ten years, but you will never. I will call for my favor. It's like it's like the mafia. I'm calling you back for a favor and you better show up. No. <laughs> He's like that virus you can't get, get rid of. I am. I'm like the bad girlfriend virus. Like, oh my God, Allison's calling. You know she wants something. Well, to get started, I mean, I'm going to let you tell everybody your background in music. How did you get in the music business? What did you do? And why did you even get in? Wow, that's a long question. Let's get started. Um... I mean, I've always loved music and growing up in L.A., you know, I was always around the entertainment business. Positions I've had, I'll just start with positions I've had. So I started in the record business working for a very famous manager by the name of, after college, after I graduated from UC Berkeley. And I didn't do any music at UC Berkeley. I was a business major, a psychology major with a minor in business. And I thought I was going to go pre-med, went and worked at a hospital, fainted. That wasn't it. Next. <laughs> so when I came home and I didn't want to be like some bum, I went and took a job. And really one of the first jobs I got was investment banking. But after that, I hated that too. And they hated me. I was way too loud. Um, <laughs> after that, I went to a temporary agency and I wound up at a company called Alive Entertainment. And Alive Entertainment was owned by a very famous guy right now. His book is coming out by the name of Shep Gordon. And Shep Gordon was a famous manager. He managed... Um, Kenny Loggins, Alice Cooper, Teddy Pendergrass, God, Wes Craven, who did movies, um, the Callaways, Luther Vandross. Um, I'm missing a few, but he was this powerful manager in the music business. And I got lucky enough to go inside and work in his finance department. I actually cut people's paychecks, which were great. <laughs> and I handled his money too. Um, so I was assistant controller of Alive Entertainment and Alive Films, and it was just a fluke how I got this job. But, you know, once you get in, you get the bug. I mean, I've always kind of worked in entertainment as a kid, too. You know, I was I modeled as a kid. You know, I did a couple videos. I did a couple movies. We're not going to name any of those when I was a kid because in L.A. you just kind of wind up in like somebody's like come do a music video so I did a music video for artists that live next door to me or stuff like that you know but anyway we're not going that far back but uh I IMDb. worked <laughs> right you won't now. find it you won't find it that's the good thing because I'm so old they don't have it then she's, <laughs> hung, the she's hung this film over over my head forever <laughs> and never told me she said one person guessed yeah what movie it was that you was know who that was Snoop <laughs> He did. No, he didn't guess. He saw it. He saw the movie. Wait, Snoop came to the office at Warner Brothers one day. We were working on, I think the LBC was on Thin Line Between Love and Hate soundtrack. I was a music supervisor and I did the soundtrack. And we get to this big corporate meeting and Snoop walks in. He's like, I saw you in a movie last night. I'm like, you didn't see me in no movie. Everybody in the room was like, really? And everybody was thinking the worst. Like, a porno movie? was And I'm like, come on you guys you know me I'm way too prude for that but he was like no I saw you in a movie and I was like no I've never been in a movie and then he goes yeah and he comes up to me and whispers in my ear the name of the movie and my face went completely white and I went oh my god I forgot about that movie my entire life and all I was in was I was at the end scene and I was a certain person's this famous guy's girlfriend 
And at the end of the movie, he came up and kissed me and he serenaded me on the piano and it was like the finale of the movie. So it was kind of a big deal. And the person who directed the movie was one of my dad's good friends. And he was like, you got to come be the girl at the end of the movie. I never even thought about them. I think I got paid like $300 right before I went to college. I was like, thank you. Well, question. Have you seen the movie? Oh, I've seen the movie. Okay. Yes, I've seen the movie. It's a good movie, too. It's a good, it's nothing bad. But I forgot about it. I completely never even thought of it again. And because Snoop is into black exploitation movies and stuff like that, and like old school movies, he knew it was me. And, he, and when I said that, he went, that was you. And I went, if you tell anyone in this room what that movie is... That Chuck you're getting from me, you won't get. And he went, okay, I'm shutting up. I'm like, don't mess with me. I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, so anyway, getting back to, that's funny stories. But I love Snoop. Snoop was a great guy and he never told anyone. So well, he's still my friend. What's the name of that movie again so we can go look I up? I don't remember. I'm too Netflix old. NetflixVintage.com. No, you on. know what? My brain doesn't even work. I don't remember. Yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> oh, getting back to, I started in management with uh, Shep Gordon, who Shep Gordon is actually one of my mentors and idols to this day. Um, and I'll get more into him. So I started with him and I think I stayed at Alive Enterprise for about two years. After I left Alive, I went and became, I took a step back and became a secretary at CBS Records at that point, which before it was Sony and all that, but it was Epic and Columbia and all that. And I actually went and became a secretary um, in the A&R, half A&R, half promotion department. I mean, I really took a, a real deep step back because I had six people I worked for. I worked for an a and I think it was Ken Commissar, Bob Pfeiffer, two rock guys, two R&B guys, an R&B woman, an R&B guy, and then I think two promotion people. And it was like three, two secretaries, and everybody wanted me to do all their work because, you know, I'm super hyper and crazy, and I could get a lot done. And then I became like the boss of the whole office, even for the CFO, and like the president would come in town from New York, and he'd be like, I have Allison for the week. So I was just a doer, you know what I mean? I was, and plus, I worked really long hours because at that point, my ex was at the hospital all night. So I had nothing else to do. So I'd be there at eight in the morning and I'd stay till 11 o'clock at night. And no one did that but me. And I worked all night. Plus I got overtime. So I was like, I'm making that money and I'm learning. And, you know, it became a really good. So I really worked in a lot of departments, but my love became A&R. And when I worked with the A&R department, I loved the producers. I loved the artist. I really got into records and making music and being in the studio and it was a really great crash course on what it takes to make a record. What does it mean to be an A&R person? And the first person who gave me my first credit on any record ever was the late, amazing Tina Marie. And Tina Marie Tina was Marie. signed. Yeah, Tina Marie was signed to. She helped a lot of people. She helped Lenny Kravitz. She gave. She let Lenny Kravitz sleep on her couch when he was Romeo Blue, and she gave him his start. Like when he would, didn't know what he was going to do and how to change his name and how to get into the business, and his parents weren't into it. She helped. She helped a lot. She helped Don Haynes, who was a stylist. She always like recognized talented people. And Tina Marie was, you know, Rick James and Tina Marie. But uh, I had did all her liner notes. I had to type. That's when you had a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how long ago it was. That's how old I am. Well, for those of you who don't know what a typewriter is, you can Google that. <laughs> T-Y-P-E. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's how old I am that I used to have to type the liner notes and use whiteout. So I typed her liner notes, and I can't even remember which album now, but 
she gave me a huge, my first thank you on a record that I saw on the back of a record, which was like then was amazing. And I loved Tina Marie because she was an amazing singer. And I used to go to the studio with her. And this is when she was signed to, I guess she was signed directly to Epic because also at that time at Epic, which was CBS Epic at this time, um, we had solar records. So I had all the solar acts too, like the baby faces and the Callaways. Ah. So that's how I knew all those guys to LA and all them. So they would come up to the office to do the solar like promotion stuff. And they would come and by my desk and and my desk was where everybody had to sit and wait to get in all the big people's office. So I just became friends with everybody. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was just great. I just had them all sitting there, you know, and now I look back, it was so important because my Rolodex was so rich when I moved to the next level like I could call these people on their cell phones those big giant boxes that we used to carry around as a cell phone no I'm joking but anyway so that's kind of how I started on the lower level and then being at Epic uh, I mean yeah being at Epic and Sony well CBS then um, I gave myself one year and if I wasn't in an executive position in one year then I was going to leave and go back to business school and I think a year to the date um, Brenda Andrews, who is like a godmother in the music business to Songwriter. me. Songwriter. P- publisher. Publisher. She publisher. was head of Alma Music Publishing, which was Herb Albert and Jerry Moss company. A&M Records. It was A&M Records Publishing House. And she was like my godmother. And as soon as I started doing really well in the business, she told a guy named Ron Fair, who Ron Fair, the famous producer, A&R man, he was looking for, he was a vice president at EMI at that point, And he was looking for a young person to come up under him so he could train them to become an A&R person. And he spoke to Brenda and Brenda goes, there's only one person you're hiring. And her name's Allison Ball. I met with him and he was kind of weird. You know what I mean? He's like this Jewish, weird, like extraordinary musician type of guy. What he loved about me, I know, was my Rolodex because he couldn't get these people on the phone. I was like, oh, you want to talk to LA and Babyface? No problem. Oh, you want this person? No problem. Oh, you need, you know, he couldn't, he didn't have the Rolodex that I had because, you know, I sat in the chair. I was the gatekeeper for years for them to get into the big wigs office. So, and I always treated them very nicely. So he made one, he said something very important to me. He goes, if you come work for me, you have to be in the studio with me. I have to teach you like a producer or you can't have this job. And I'm like, great. I love that. <laughs> that was right up your alley. Yeah, I'm like, okay. So literally it took a minute, but he hired me as his A&R manager at EMI. And so I got my first executive job. The, the good part was I was an executive and I was in the A&R department. The bad part, I was making less money than when I was a secretary because I got overtime. So And I was like, dude, I need more money. And he was like, you want the job or not? And I went, I want the job. And he goes, well, then you're going to shut up and take it. For all those that don't know, A&R is? Artist repertoire. Yeah. Artist and repertoire. Yeah, and artist repertoire is really, really, it's a dying breed, but it really is signing the artists, finding their songs, helping them craft the record, picking the writers, the producers, mixing the record, mastering the record, overseeing the budget, and turning the body of work of an artist over to the marketing team and leading the marketing team on how you think this artist should be presented out to the world. And it's a dying breed, but that's what I do. You know, A&R people back in the day were just these super creative, eccentric people that I guess I'm part of. And um, some were producers, some weren't. 
Um, it really kind of came, there was different backgrounds, different strategies on how people became A&R people. And I was blessed enough to work for one of the best producers in the world, Ron Fair. And Ron Fair produced like, his claim to fame now is like the Black Eyed Peas and Keisha Coles and Mary J. Blige and Christine Aguilera. I was there when he signed Christine Aguilera. Um, we did the OJs together. He did a lot of stuff. He did jazz too, which was great. So I went to go work with him at EMI. And we just started an amazing trilogy of being together for many, many years. Um, and he was like this quirky producer and I was his A&R girl. And he literally, I would be at the office from nine to five in the office doing regular work. And I, I could have a dinner break from five to like seven. And then I had to show up at the studio, whatever studio he was working at from seven until he left every night weekends, whatever. You were cutting your teeth. Oh, yeah. And he showed me how to mix the board. He showed me how to mix records. He showed me what to listen for. He really taught me incredible stuff. I traveled with him to New York um, when he was in the studio in New York. We did everything together. It was the great learning experience, and I really learned how to make records. So at EMI, we worked on, let's see, we worked on the OJs, Diane Reeves, Najee, we did a Dallas Austin deal. We did, uh, I can't even remember that far back. We did a lot of artists. So we probably had, we did soundtracks together. We probably had like 50 to 60 artists that reported to us and we made records and we brought producers in and we, we had fun. It was great. And we've had a couple hits there. I can't even remember. We had Karen Wheeler. We had all these really cool artists. Um, and that's kind of how I got my teeth started. And then Ron left EMI when Charles Koppelman came in and Charles Koppelman owned SBK publishing and records and stuff. Another powerhouse. He also went and ran Martha Stewart's living for a while too. Charles still a power player. But anyway, Charles Koppelman came in, Ron left and Charles promoted me at EMI. And when he promoted me at EMI, I oversaw like the whole West coast division and did that for a few years. And, but the company was going through a lot of changes. Like back in the day, you know, every company gets bought up and blah, blah, blah. So then at that point, Ron Fair was at RCA and he's like, I got to get you over to RCA. And I'm like, okay, please. And so um, he got me, him, Joel Katz, Don Perry, and Ron Fair got me over to RCA. But the bad thing was I didn't report to Ron Fair. I reported to Skip Miller. And Skip Miller was head of Black Music, who amazing record maker who can't, we used to be the president of Motown. Different style. He wasn't a, a producer. Um, and so Ron and I, Ron Fair and I had offices next door to each other. I reported to Skip Miller. And when I reported to Skip Miller, I became like the A&R person that oversaw all the production companies. And under us, it was Loud Records. So Wu-Tang Clan came through there, uh, Volume 10, all the Loud Records, Steve Rifkin's records. He used to drive me crazy, but he had hits. He had hits. I remember he and I had a fight over Wu-Tang. I was like, Wu-Tang needs to mix this record. And he goes, it's great the way it is. And I was like, I don't know. It's really, I, we need to mix it. And he was right. It was like, leave it the way it Dark, is. Dirty. Yeah, yeah it was dirty. dirty you know, so. I'm used to polish. I'm used to Ron Fair pop records. You know what I mean? So, you know, you learn as you go. I mean, who else do we have? At our, I mean, we had lots of people. Uh, Ron signed Christina Aguilera at RCA. We had SWV at RCA. We had Martha Wash at RCA. We had, I don't even remember. We had a lot of production companies. Uh, Tricky. Tricky, that's when I first met Tricky, Tricky and Dream, the producer, a and Tricky Stewart, did a lot of projects. I had Black Girl there. I don't even know. I had a lot of stuff. Um, and that's when I think I first met um, Something for the People, which Ro was in. Um, I think yeah. I met you at EMI, though, didn't I, first? Yeah, we, we met you when you were at EMI. Yeah. 
Yeah, but we were at EMI. At RCA, didn't you sign? Did you sign Benet at RCA? I did. No, I didn't or sign. EMI. I signed Eric Benet. Sorry, I signed Eric Benet at EMI as a brother and sister group, and the they group. were called Benet. Yeah. And then when I went to RCA, Skip Miller didn't love Eric Benet, so he wouldn't let me sign him. So, but what I did because I'm super loyal to my artists, I put on Eric on all the jazz records that went at RCA. So he did like Marion Meadows records. He everybody who had a jazz record, we had a big jazz division there. I just can't. It's not coming back. Who was there? But I put Eric Benet on all those records to keep him fed and give him money and keep him going. And then I met something for the people at EMI as producers. And then when I got to RCA, they were signed to Capital. And I was like, man, I want to sign you guys. I can't believe you guys are at Capital. And then they got dropped from Capital. And then I stole them and picked them up right yes. away. Yes. So that's how far back we go. And uh, then, um, you know, at that point, okay, I'm going, this is taking so long. But at that point, I was going to go to LaFace for a minute with LA and Babyface. And they had offered me a job to go to LaFace. And I was about to pack my bags and go. Eric Benet was in my contract to go. And as soon as I was about to sign the contract, I got a phone call that you're not going to LaFace. I got bad news and good news. You're not going to sign your contract at LaFace, but you're going in as head of AR at Warner Brothers. And I was like, what? Oh my God, are you kidding me? And you can bring Eric and something for the people and you can bring all your acts with you. And it was a done deal. Um, so I became head vice president of AR at Warner Brothers and I spent eight or nine years there. I can't really remember right now. I think I walked in in 95 when all the changes were happening or right before the changes. I think I went through six chairmans. But the good thing is I made money for that company. I had number two, number three, number four pop records. And I kept the department going and not by myself, of course, but with a great team, even though there was a lot of changes, but I brought in Eric Benet with me. And that's when we had our platinum record. I brought in something for the people with me. Thank God they saved my ass. They dropped a number two pop record when we walked in. <laughs> that's a whole nother story how we got there, but it made me look really good. I worked with Prince. I worked with Shaka. I worked with Curtis Mayfield. I worked with Ro the late, great Roger Troutman, who I actually introduced him to Snoop and Dre and them when he did California Love. I put all that together. I um, I don't even know because there's so many. Um, I'm forgetting a lot of people. Your resume speaks for itself. Yeah, I'm forgetting a lot of people. But it's been great. I absolutely love artists. I, I you know I have a love-hate relationship with artists because artists drive you nuts. But at the same time, when it's my duty for me to figure out how to get it to the masses and make you successful, even when you don't want to be successful or even when you want to go left. You know, I just have that in me and I have always been that way, a creative person to help creative people visualize their dream. I'll say I had no idea about most of that. And so it's like a profound education right now. Dope. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you. And even how you guys, you know, the link up between you two. Yeah. Um, didn't know that. Bro and the guys save your ass. <laughs> Many a times. They still save my ass. Still. They, as soon as I call, they're like, oh, shoot. Here she goes. No, really, they, Ro and Sauce and our late Jeff, they were really my A&R staff because anything I signed or I did, I had to, I still to this day, and I just restarted my record company again, which we'll get into. Till this day, I call them about, what do you think about this? Can you do that? This is what I'm trying to do. What do you think? They're my crew. And we run deep. We've been together a long time. So let's talk about let's talk about ARing or what is it about an artist or producer or whatever? What is it when you hear a song or you hear an artist 
that says, I like him or I like her? Like, what is it about your ears that attract you to somebody? I think A&R is a very personal career. Everybody has a different thing they're looking for. Um, I don't know. I just wait for somebody who comes in who has real talent, who has dedication to work. They're saying something unique that I haven't heard. I'm not like, I'm not chasing, let me go get another Rihanna. Rihanna's done. She broke the mold. I don't need another one. She's amazing, but I'm not chasing what somebody else has done. I'm looking for somebody who's unique, who comes with their own voice and they really want to dig deep and find out who they are. I make artists sit with me for a very long time. I can attest to that. (laughs) And I make them pull everything out of their soul on who they're trying to be and what they're trying to say and why should people be interested because really music and songs are telling your emotions it touches your you got to touch people's emotions the artists that are huge who are selling who are around they touch our emotions they make us gravitate to our feelings so for me when it comes to artists I just look for something unique I I look for pure talent and I look for people who want to work because this is not an easy gig this is one of the hardest jobs in the world people think it's all glamorous when they see it up on tv it is 24-7 work and you have to be able to take criticism you got to be able to hear no no, 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 until one day it's yes, you know, and you have to have a very strong shell to make it in this game. And not everybody understands that. They come in like, oh, I'm an artist and here are my songs. And you're like, dude, you have talent. You haven't even touched the surface on where we need to go and how long it takes. People don't really understand that. I've had a lot of people quit on me. I have a lot of people who are like, this is too much work. It's too many games. It's too many. And it's not even games with me. It's how you play the system of the business and where you're going and what you want. Because if you want big time, then you have to go from door to door to door and they have to start opening. And most importantly, out of all this, you can have all the talent. You can be the hottest, cutest, most popular. You can be the most talented. You got to have a little luck. You got to have a little luck. Profound. That's seriously profound. What are the odds of somebody walking through the door being completely developed from the time you see them? Well, hmm, there's not very many of those. Now, I'm not going to say people aren't more developed than others. Like I have um, Britain right now, who is an artist that I signed, who came in pretty well prepared musically, but not in everything else. So each artist comes in with their own obstacles, every single one of them. I look at an artist and I, because I've worked with probably over 150 artists in my career, maybe more, I don't even know. But I now can look at an artist and when they walk in the door, I can pretty much know where they're stuck at or where what we have to work on. And they all come with their own issues. I haven't met one without an issue yet. So if I'm answering that right, they all got something to do. So, so like, for example, like cite some of the cases and the stuff you dealt with, people walking in the door. Well, for instance, I'll use Britton, for example. Britton came to me and he is an amazing songwriter, producer, songs ready to go to radio, but he had no social media. He was in way too many directions because he can rap, he can sing. He was playing me Prince songs and Michael Jackson songs, and then he played me his rap songs, and then he played me his guitar songs. And it's just so confusing that it would confuse if I went to a record company and said, hey, I have a new artist. It was just too all over the place. So what I had to do with him is streamline him. I had to get through all his 150 songs, which is amazing. That's a good thing. That's a good problem. <laughs> and I had to say, we're not playing any of these yet. We're going to start here so I can show a path of where you're growing and where you're going without confusing people. 
because you can't throw it out, out there like that. It's just too much. The other thing, the problem with him was he had no social media. He changed his name three times. So it was one of those things of creating an identity and a brand. And now he has a brand, you know what I mean? And people are following him and he's doing his social media and the record companies are interested because I've created a brand around him, who he is. I have another artist named Joe who I just signed and he, oh, he is this blue eyed, no green eyed, six two Italian white boy really has um soul inside of him. He, soulful. He's soulful. He's very much like the Philly soul movement. And it's not fake. It's really who he is. And he can play the guitar. He plays the piano. He's on steroids and he can rap. And he needs to start in the pop world first. And he's having a really hard time with that because he wants to break out and be D'Angelo right now. And don't get me wrong. There's a way to do both. But you have to do it right. And he can rap too. He'll be Nate Dogg before he wants to be (laughs) John Legend. I mean, yeah, John Mayer. You know what I mean? Because kids, and he's only 20. And the thing of it is that kids now are in the melting pot of the world. It's not about race. It's about we listen to all music and worldly and we're so connected so easy that they're they're exposed to so much that they don't understand that, you know, they're, you have to slow it down and peel it out a certain way if you want to be a superstar. Like if you want to get to that. For It's just like Jay-Z. Jay-Z started who I, I've known Jay-Z forever too. I forgot to say that. I know, um, I had Jay-Z, uh, I had, the rapper Jay-Z was, uh, DJing for a guy named the jazz was signed to EMI. I was his A&R person and Jay-Z used to come to my office and hang out. And like, I didn't even know that. So I saw him at a Grammy party years later, we were all hanging out and he goes, you don't remember me, huh? And I'm like, of course you're Jay-Z. What do you mean? I don't remember you. Like my dumb or something. He was like, no, 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 no. He goes, when you were at EMI, remember the jazz? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, remember? And I'm like, that's right you were his dj you guys used to come hang out in the office with me and i'd order you food like it goes like stuff like that so thank god i never passed on him i didn't pass on him but i'm just saying i've known jay-z forever but and he's still a super amazing nice guy to me but getting back to um you know each art like i was talking about jay-z he started here and he's grown and changed he's he almost had he almost missed a few he had a couple bad albums too but it's really about Figuring out what your lane is, figuring out what you're saying to the audience and making it make sense for who you are. And that's what I do for artists. I do artist development. I make them sit down and say they think they have a whole like how they're going to do it. And sometimes they're right. Question for you. So today when you're dealing with artists, it's like um, I know it's so difficult for them because everybody's playlist today, it has everything and everyone, every genre. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like a melting pot. Mm-hmm. So kids will come up today. They'll come up today and they're like, well, I'm, I'm authentically this I'm and, and I'm authentically that. Those things may be completely opposite. You know, so how do you deal with that kind of dilemma where someone feels like they're definitely pop, they're definitely Philly soul, they're definitely, you know, hip hop? How do you deal with that? Well, I usually let them talk and I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> and then I start playing them stuff and I start... I, I we get out and we listen to music together and we start digging deep and I start playing stuff like where they're at and where they're not at or where they should be at. And, you know, I think the whole thing is I always tell artists to have a keep an open mind. You know, you never say no. You get out there and you keep an open mind. And if you don't keep open mind, then you don't need to be with me. Like, I don't even have time. If you think you know it, I'm not saying I know everything, then you don't need to be with me. And I, and I don't know everything, but I know one thing. I've watched artists who don't have open minds go down the toilet. 
And I've watched artists who are willing to try, just willing to try. Because sometimes when you open the door to try something you're not into, another door opens trying that and being open. And everybody has to stay open, including me. I listen to, that's why I keep other people around me. Like, well, what do you think about this? And what do you, like, especially a lot of young people. Um, I have a whole crew of young people that come here on Friday nights and we listen to music and I get their input on what's hot and what's not and what they're listening to. And half the crap I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. But I do learn from it. I know who's in the game. I know how the sounds are changing. The trends are saying, and let me tell you something. I'm going to say this right now. The trend is changing back to real musicians. Because a lot of the music nowadays, I just read an amazing article and I wish I could remember where I read it, but it was talking about how MTV, they should take the M out of MTV because nobody's playing music. Nobody's playing music Mm -hmm. um, instruments. And I'm getting back to my artists. You got to be able to play an instrument. You better be able to write your songs and you better be able to least close to being producing your stuff. Now, I will hook you up with producers who are named producers, established producers, Grammy winning the producers. They're in the game. But the identity of an artist comes from their soul. They have to be able to write most of it. I don't take artists that don't write. I, I can't go look for songs all day. You have to be able to have a sort of an identity on who you are. And that means we spend a lot of time together. We sit with each other. We hang out, we have lunch, we have dinner, they come over, we cook, we hang out, we become friends. And I want to hear the stories of your life. And I start peeling back on their stories of their lives or what they've been through and go, you need to write a song about that. And it needs to be this way. And that, and that's artist development. And that's I do that probably in my home four times a week, every week, until my husband sometimes like that's shut it down gift. sometimes. Yeah. That's your gift. You you have a you have the ability to to bring stuff out of people that they didn't know that they had. I remember used to push our buttons and, and with us, with some for the people was like, she would just piss us off. <laughs> that was a lot of people off. That like. was, that was her thing. But so she would come and she would, and she would hear stuff and we would play some stuff and she'd be like, Oh, I don't. And from that point forward, she would call like every day. You guys better be over there working. I better hear some music. And then when when she would come out and she would finally when she would when she hear when she heard the right one, she would let you know. Yes. Right that's away. It. Right away. I hear that's the first it. the first beat I would know. Finish that. Yeah. That's the one. She heard my love is the sh- and she was like, That's our first single. Let's go. And it, they didn't it. even have lyrics on it. It was just a track. So, so wait, so when when that happens, when that moment happens, what do you feel like you're hearing? You know, that's a really good question. You know, it's usually just I hear it and I know instantly how it makes me feel inside. Like I want to get up and party or it's emotional. You just hear a track. You know, when you hear a song that's like unbelievable, you like it stops you. It stops you in your tracks. You all the problems you have, like, for instance, for me, I'd be at a record company, which marketing people call me and I'm on my songs up the charts and this one's trying to track me down. I got financial meetings and I got employees tripping and artists tripping. And if you can get me in the middle of my office with the phone ringing to stop and go, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's what it's about. That's when you know you have hits, you know? That's, I mean, that's that's crazy because as a musician or a producer or, or anybody on the creative side, you kind of lose your ear a bit because you look at, you're listening to everything from a creative point of view. Mm-hmm. So every everything you pay attention to is like, you know, when like musicians shop talk. Of right? course, of course. But you're talking about like how the consumer is being hit. You know? I, and I, I I'm a common person. And I keep it that way too. I will mess up and say, mess up the lyrics. But if I can hum it, you know, stuff like that. Uh, one thing I wanted to say back to um, 
what Roe was saying about I used to beat them up and all that. But if someone's not challenging you, if you don't have challenges in your life, you're not working to your true potential. I wake up every morning with challenges that I need to overcome every day of my life. It's working out to stay fit. If it's trying to reestablish myself in the business, if it's my kids, if it's my husband, it's whatever it is. I work super hard. And that's another thing about me and artists. If I'm working harder in your career than you are, I have a big problem. And I've had artists like that too, who are lazy, who have the gift and they're entitled and they don't think they have to work hard at it because they have a natural gift. I don't like lazy artists. You better be working. You better be figuring it out. You better be working 24 seven, just like me. Cause I wake up working hard for you. I go to sleep working hard for you. I will hit you at two o'clock in the morning. I, w- I will wake up at four in the morning and text people and email them. They're like, you're still up. Like, I just woke up. I had an idea. I don't know. It just came in the middle of the night. I don't know. So it's one of those things that you have to be really passionate. And I've taken time off from it. You know, I took 10 years to raise my kids. And it's funny. What got me back doing A&R, and I wouldn't even say I'm just an A&R person. I'm an artist development person that knows how to make great records. And what I, the reason why I know how to make great records, and I'm patting myself on the back a little, is I know great producers. I know great producers and writers that have been in my life many, 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 many years that I can call if I need help, if I need to craft something. I can recognize a great producer at Hello. You know, I've worked with Pharrell and Jermaine Dupree and Will I Am all, all before they were huge. Um, you just kind of know it. You know it in somebody's spirit when they walk in the room. Like they'll t- I remember when I first met Pharrell and he was just getting started. He's like, I'm the next guy. And I went, I believe you. I believe you're the next guy. I get it. And he was, I think he had one song out at that point. You know what I mean? But you knew he was going to be Pharrell. You just knew it. You knew it at Hello. And it's just you get that feeling with people and producers. And I just love it. I love creative people. I'm super creative. You know, they're a little quirky and quacky and all that. But that's my passion. And my passion for them is how to take this really creative, amazing um, musical person or artist and craft them into a brand and a business. I got to acknowledge her on something back in the Summer for the People days. We had a remix on one of our singles. It was a song called With You. And Tribe Called Quest, Ali was supposed to do the remix. He wasn't able to do the remix, but he said, I got this hot guy that can do it. And he's he's one of our up and coming. The hot guy was Jay Dilla. Mm-hmm. And Jay Dilla and Fife were on the remix. Mm-hmm. And, and Allison told us about Jay Dilla before... He was yeah. Jay Dilla. She was like, it's this hot guy. His name is Jay Dilla. And I don't even remember that. But now I remember. Now, I mean, now, I remember now, but. You know, and he's a legend. He's and he's a, a legend. Yeah. And Pharrell, too. Pharrell yeah. was. I had Pharrell really early on. Pharrell was supposed to produce. Pharrell cut three songs on Eric Benet for me. And him and Eric got into a fight because Eric didn't like him. And. I was like, dude, do you know who this guy's going to be? Like, I'm telling you, this guy's going to be the next one. Trust me, I know. Question, though. So you, what you're talking about is an ever-elusive it factor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, of course, everybody's trying to figure out what the hell is that, you know? And you, you're saying you feel it in your gut when someone walks in or you feel it. Yeah, I feel it. But you also have to be prepared, too. You got to have songs ready to play. You got to have your production tight. Nowadays, you can do it all in your home. You know what I mean? You don't even have to go to a studio anymore. You can, Everything can be done on your computer now. I mean, if you're a musician, you can play, too, on your computer and all that. So, for me, I need somebody to come with a body of work. Don't come with two and three songs and say, I'm trying to figure it out. 
I ain't got time for that. Like if you come with at least a body of work, I would like to see at least 20 songs. And that you better have another drawer because I'm going to ask for the other drawer too. (laughs) But at least 20 songs, they have to have cohesiveness. You have to know who you're trying to be. What are you trying to represent? Um, You need to have like what your image is going to be or somewhat. Um, And you need to not be scared to get up on a piano or a guitar or get on a mic and sing for a room and impress me. Because that's one thing I can't teach. I have an artist who sold a lot of records. I'm not going to say a name. Who was a big R&B singer. And he's still around. So I'm not saying any names who I signed. We know not. I can't say his name. (laughs) That would be mean. But the first time I signed him because the record was amazing. And I had never saw. He came through a producer. I signed him through a producer. And I didn't see him perform. And then he came to perform for our company. And I almost crawled up on a desk and cried because he was so terrible as a performer. That when I remember this. Oh, my God. I, know I was who just, it is. I, I was like freaked out because I'm really into amazing performers. Like, <clears throat> besides that you can sing, you got to be an amazing performer, too. And this person was not that. And I. Incredible voice, though. Incredible. Like hits. They are hits. And I was like. Oh, my God, how did I let that go by? And the only reason I let it go by is because they were on the East Coast and the producer, I signed them through a producer and I trust the producer because the producer had all these hits and stuff. And, you know, I was like, well, he knows what he's doing. I never did that ever, 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 ever again, like ever. And they went straight into artist development for like a year straight. So um, but they did have hit records. So the thing of it is, is that, you know, for me, I'm looking for an artist that has kind of some of everything. They can sing or dance or rap or whatever they can do. They can really, they really have a unique voice. Their music has a unique voice on what they're saying in the lyrics to me are super important. Even if it's today's music, you gotta be saying something, a willingness to work really hard and know that they're prepared. They're ready. They're ready. Don't come to me and you're not ready. And I've had artists come to me when they're not ready. I've had artists who, I got them all the way to the sitting with the chairman of companies and they couldn't pull it off. They had the music ready. They had the pedigree. They're hot looking, but they were scared. And guess what? When you're scared, they they pick up on that fear. They know you're (laughs) scared. And if you're scared in a company of executives, you can't hit the stadium. And I can get you in the door and I can get you in that meeting, but I can't get them to sign the deal unless the person is ready. And, and that's the whole thing. Artists need to be ready. If you want to go that way. Today's market, you don't have to go that way. You can develop your own following through SoundCloud and social media, which I love. I absolutely love it. You can create an identity out there. And if you're smart, you can become something before you even, you don't even need a label if you don't want a label. The labels are there for if you want to, you need the money. You need that big a bigger check. It's not big checks anymore, but Super a bigger star. check. You need superstardom. Yeah, superstardom. You need support, tour support, that you're really ready to go in and be part of a label because that's tough too. Because just because you get signed to a label, a, a major label, that doesn't mean you're coming out. You're listening to Breaking Down the Business. Here's a sneak peek into next week's episode. I worked with Prince and Prince was the hardest person in the world to figure out because musically he has so much going on. He's talking to mere mortals. You know what I mean? When he turns in his record, he is turning into mere mortals that can't understand what he goes through when he creates it. You know, it's just tough because you can't get inside the label. If you don't know somebody that knows people at the label, you're not getting it. 
you need to really start the whole social media aspect. If you don't have social media, they won't even look at you, period. Even with me, with my connections. I know every chairman. If I bring them an artist that has no social media and they could play and they're the next Justin Bieber, I don't know. They'll just go, no, I need social media. Just like Justin, he had to have a social media. Yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. You're ready, right? And everything was ready, except the pressure of walking in at a chairman of a company who's staring at you with a team going, you want me to write how big of a check for you and why? Thank you for listening to Breaking Down the Business.